the Bible is God's primary way of speaking to his people. And it shapes everything that we believe and everything that we do. The Bible is God's word, his gift to us, the church. Because of this, after I've finished reading, I will say, this is the word of the Lord. And we will all respond together. Thanks be to God. So, Hebrews 5, verses 1 to 10. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward, since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this honour for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. As he says also in another place, You are a priest forever, after the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. This is the word of the Lord. Um, this morning, like you've probably guessed from our reading, we're continuing Hebrews. If you're visiting or you're new, we've been in this series for a while. Uh, we've called it Jesus is Better because, as we'll see uh, today, that Jesus is better for, uh, than, 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 than everything that came before him. All the things that were in place to point towards God, uh, Jesus has fulfilled them and, and is, is the better and fuller version of those things. And today we're talking about priesthood, which is kind of a weird concept for some of us. Um, Finley, our boy, is six and he's in P2 at Holy Rosary School, just around the corner, a couple, literally two streets over from here. And we love that he goes to that school. We love that it's in the center of the community. We love that it's uh, very diverse and multicultural. We love that it's a great community. Um, we, we love that he's grown up not experiencing the divisions that I grew up with. Um, but as somebody like me who grew up in Paisley country in Balamina, uh, there are some things about him going to a Catholic school that I find kind of weird. Um, and that's my own prejudice and upbringing, and I'm working through that. Um, but the other night, for example, the other, last week, uh, we were sitting at the table, and he always likes to ask questions. And he said, Daddy, can I ask you a question? And I said, yeah, of course. And he said, do you like being a priest? <laughs> and I was like, oh, oh, uh, yeah, I do, uh, yeah. Um, but in all honesty, he's not the first person that's made that mistake. And, usually what ha- and, and this usually happens when I'm at weddings, uh, when I'm doing someone's wedding, and you maybe have uh, uh, family members or whatever, and they're not part of our church, and their own experience of church is maybe being like a Roman Catholic church or whatever, and they'll be like, oh, Father, that was a lovely service, Father, thank you. And I'm like, well, actually, I could get used to that kind of respect, you know what I mean? Um, only joking, we only have one Father, and that's God. Um, but for a lot of us, the idea of priesthood as a, as a foreign concept, or even if you grew up familiar with the idea of priest, what you have there is kind of a, 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 an, an anemic version or a lesser version of the idea of priesthood that we see in Hebrews chapter 5. Um, but what we are familiar with is what priesthood represents, what it stands for, which is a human representative. 
right? We're all familiar with this in, in all walks of life. So we've all probably been, maybe we're all kind of sick of, or like me, have been engrossed in the uh, U.S. election this week. Hardly got any work done, just like constantly looking at the news, trying to figure out what's happening. Um, it's entertaining, a bit like a soap opera, isn't it? Um, well, what they're doing there and what we do when we vote in elections is you're, you're, you're choosing a representative, someone who will uh, stand for what you believe in or who will stand up for you in, in, to authority and in authority, in, in, in government. Um, or maybe you've been to court and you've had a solicitor or you've bought a house and you've had to, have, had a, uh, you've had to get a solicitor. What you're doing there is you're choosing a representative, someone who will plead your case, somebody who will stand up for your best interest. So we are familiar with this idea of um, human representative, human representation. But here's, here, here, here's what we need to consider. Far more important and far more pressing than, uh, uh, than any of those human needs for representation is our need for representation before God. Our need for a representative uh, who will stand up for us, who will stand for us, who will stand between us and God. And so I guess the question I want to start to, to maybe, get the, maybe get us thinking, maybe get the cogs turning over is, who will be your representative before God? Is it going to be you? You're going to, I, I once, when I was uh, 18, represented myself in court and it did not go well. Are you going to represent yourself before God? I'm not telling you what it was for. Are you going to represent yourself before God? Are you going to trust in a politician to do that? Are you going to trust in a, in a pastor to do that? And you say, well, why do we even need a representative before God? What, what's, why are we even talking about high priests? This guy, he's talking to these Hebrews and they were Jews. They have priests. Like, why are we even talking about this? Well, here's why we need a representative this is Isaiah 59, verse 2, and it says, But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you. Because of our sin, we are separated from God. We can't even see his face. And we need somehow that gap to be bridged. We need some, somebody that is going to bring us close to God, that is going to repair that separation. Maybe you think, well, no, no, that was, that was Old Testament. You know, that's Old Testament. Don't be, don't be bringing that Old Testament up in here. Well, here's Romans 3, New Testament. Romans 3.23, very common verse, very famous verse. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us, we've all sinned. There's not been a person who's ever been born who has not fallen short of God's glory, who is not born in separation from God. And because of that, we're all under God's judgment. We all, we all, without someone to bridge that gap, without someone to represent us and, and to plead our case, we will all face God's wrath and, and his judgment. Not because he wants to get rid of us, but because he's a holy God who, who one day will end all evil and end all injustice and, and, and do away with all, uh, all sin and all wrongdoing. And unless we have our sin and our wrongdoing and our injustice uh, dealt with, then we will be consumed in that wrath as well. So we need someone to stand in that gap, someone to, to, to build a bridge, someone to make a way for us to come close to God. We need our sins to be paid for. To use biblical language, I know it sounds old-fashioned, but that's what it is. We need our sins to be paid for. We need a way for us to come to God. And without that, without that, we will always be separated from God. 
And this is what this passage is talking about that Claire read for us and that Nick introduced last week. Um, I listened to the podcast, thought he did a great job. Um, on this idea of priesthood. And what this passage is saying is that Jesus is this person. Jesus is this representative who can, who can stand between us and God, who can actually plead our case, who can not only do that, but can, can pay for our sins. And the idea is this, that the, the, the point of this passage is that Jesus is better than any Old Testament high priest because he is sinless, because he is forever, and because he is the source of eternal salvation for those who obey him. He's sinless, he's forever, and he is the source of eternal salvation. You see, we have to remember that this, this book, or I've said this before many times, I think this is actually a sermon that was spoken to or at least delivered to uh, this, the, this group of, of Christians who, who were Jews. They had, they had grown up in the, in the Jewish faith. They, had, they, they followed the Old Testament rules and regulations to a point or what was appropriate to them at that time. Uh, and, and they had no problem understanding the idea of priesthood. They had, they had no, uh, no issues whatsoever of understanding, I need that bridge between uh, me and God. But it's unfamiliar for us. Even if you grew up with some kind of priesthood, this idea of priesthood here is unfamiliar to us. So let me explain. And there's some things in this passage that will give us clues into what really made a priest and what a priest had to be. Well, firstly, not in this passage, but we know from the, from the Old Testament that, that a priest had to be from the tribe of Levi. So there were 12 tribes in Israel that all came from the, the 12, uh, 12 sons of Jacob. And a priest had to be of the tribe of Levi. And not only that, the priest had to be a descendant of um, Aaron, Moses' brother, who's mentioned down here. And not only that, the priest had to be one of the people. Listen to what verse 1 says. Keep your Bible open because we're literally just going to probably go through this pretty verse by verse. Uh, Verse 1 says, For every high priest chosen from among men, chosen from among men, the, the, the high priest is one of the people who is given a specific task. And they're one of the people, but there's also a degree of separation from the people as well. Uh, the high priest would be really highly thought of. He had a special position. Um, you know this, even if you go back to Exodus 28, and you, and you read all about just what the priest wore, the high priestly robes. I kind of wish that like, I got to wear robes sometimes. Um, wrong denomination for that, but anyway. Uh, but nothing, any minister, any priestly robes we have now do not come close to what the high priest of Israel wore. Um, uh, fine, uh, fine linen, gold thread, woven pomegranates. He had a turban that had jewels set in it. He had this breastplate that was gold and was covered in jewels. All this uh, uh, incredible craftsmanship uh, to represent that this person was qualified and was chosen to represent uh, the people before God. But not only did the priest have to uh, be from the tribe of Levi, Levi and be one of the people, his job was to represent the people to God. Look at the rest of verse 1. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act be, on behalf of men, that's men and women or mankind, in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. The priest was literally a go-between. He was a bridge builder between God and the people. He was there to represent the people to God. Um. One day a year in the Jewish calendar called the Day of Atonement. Atonement just means to, to make amends for, to make it right. Uh, and this day, the day of making it right, the day of making the sins right, the priest would, would offer sacrifices for the people. 
He would, he would uh, after he had purified himself, he would, he would uh, sacrifice uh, uh, goats. And, and one would be set free to carry in the sins of the people, represent carrying the sins of the people away from the camp. And one would be offered, this blood would literally be poured on the altar. It's really fascinating stuff. You're maybe thinking that sounds boring. It's really fascinating stuff. Go back and read Leviticus. It's an incredible book. Um, but it, it, by doing that, he was bringing the sins of the people to God, making amends for that. And, he, and, and we think, well, that's kind of a funny concept, isn't it? But here's the truth. Anytime that a wrong is done, there's a price to pay. We know this, right? Think about if I, um, if I drive into someone's car and dent their bumper, right? There's a price to pay. So either I pay that by either paying for it or my insurance pays for it and my premiums go up, or the person I hit say, no, no, it's okay, I'll cover it, which is very highly unlikely. That's literally never happened to me. Um, but not that I go around crashing my car all the time, but... Um, but we know, we know from life that any time a wrong is done, a price has to be paid. And that's one of the jobs of the people. He, he represented the people and, and, he, and he paid the price, as it were, for their sin. The high priest offered the sacrifices that paid the price for the wrongdoings of the people. But not only that, another qualification of the priest, here, here we see it in verse 2. Listen to verse 2. Uh, he can deal gently with the ignorant and the wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. The priest was to be sympathetic with the people. He was to deal gently with them. He knows their weaknesses because he has the same weaknesses. And so he was called to be patient and be gentle with them. The people who, who, who were, were sinning a lot, he wasn't be like, God, check these guys out. I mean, they are a mess. No, he was to deal gently with them and, and plead their case and say, Lord, I know what it's like to be with weakness. I know what it's like to be sinful. Please, please forgive them. And this is one of the key, key qualifications of being a priest. So here we see that the, the priest in the Old Testament had to be of the tribe of Levi. He, had to, um, he was one of the people. Um, he had to represent the people and he had to be sympathetic with people's weaknesses. And it's this really beautiful picture in the Old Testament of God's grace to his people. That he would allow a way for, for, for the people to be close to God. They would allow a way for, for, the, for the people to be represented and have their sins forgiven. But it wasn't the way it was always going to be. It wasn't the way it was intended to be. There were flaws in this system. This beautiful system of, of priesthood and sacrifice. There were flaws. Firstly, the high priest would die, <laughs> right? Just a dude. He's just a guy. And, and I mean, I, I doubt when I get to heaven, I'll say, Aaron, you're just a dude. But anyway, I mean, just a man who would die. Eventually, no matter how good he was, no matter how, how, how sympathetic and gently he was with the people, no matter how closely he followed the law, he would die and would have to be replaced. And every priest, uh, the, from, from Aaron, the very first high priest, right throughout the, the, the history of Israel, that priest has always died. Secondly, the high priests were all sinful. They were just sinful people. Look, at, I mean, I love Aaron was the first high priest. So, I mean, we don't have time to go into it, but hopefully you get the understand the story. The people of Israel are, are led out of slavery in Egypt by Moses, and Aaron is appointed the high priest. And very, not very far into their journey, they reach Mount Sinai, where, where God says to Moses, who's leading the people, come up this mountain, meet with me, and I'm going to give you the law, right? So Moses goes off up the mountain, don't know how long he's up there, um, but when he comes back down, Aaron is there as the high priest, 
and the people are worshiping a golden calf that he has made. A calf made out of gold. And, and, and not only that, Moses says, but Aaron, what are you doing? And he said, oh, I mean, uh, well, they told me to throw their gold into the fire, so I did, and then this thing just came out. <laughs> like, so not only is he, is, he leading, is he leading the people astray to not worship God and worship this idol, he's also lying about it. He's a sinful human being. Listen to verse 3. Um, because of this, because of his weakness, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. And we see this in, in, in Leviticus 16, that the, the high priest, even on that day of atonement, he had to offer sacrifices for his own sin before he could even begin to approach God. I mean, we don't have much time to go into this, but I thought this was helpful. So let's look at Leviticus 16. This is an excerpt of what happens on the day of atonement. And here it says, uh, this is verse 2 of Leviticus 16. And the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron your brother not to come at any time into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat that is on the ark so that he may not die. <laughs> right? So he's like, listen, if he does this in the wrong way, he's going to die. Now that's not God being cruel. That's because God is holy. His holiness is so overwhelming that if you come close and you're not made right, you will be consumed. Like getting too close to the sun. The sun is beautiful and glorious and it gives us heat and light and energy and warmth and, and creates life on earth. But if you get too close to the sun, even if we just look at the sun, it's going to do you damage. And it goes on uh, in verse 3. But in this way, Aaron shall come into the holy place. So this is how Aaron's going to do this. With a bull from the herd for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. And he shall put on the holy linen coat and shall have the, the linen undergarment on his body. And he shall tie the linen sash around his waist and wear the linen turban. These are the holy garments. And he shall bathe his body in water and then put them on. And he shall take from the congregation of the people of Israel two male goats for a sin offering and one ram for a burnt offering. Aaron shall offer the bull as a sin offering for himself and shall make atonement for himself and for his house. And then what happens after that is then it describes how he can make sacrifice for the rest of the people. Because of his sin, he has to go through all of this to, to, to make himself pure before, and, and, and offer a sacrifice for his own sin before he can represent the people. The high priest was just a sinful man. Any high priest, right? Israel history was never fully qualified to deal with, the, with, with people's sin once and for all. He could never fully take away sin. Something more was needed. And this leads on to the next thing, the next flaw, if you like. High priests only offered temporary atonement for sin. You see, the sacrifices had to be repeated every year. The Day of Atonement came around once a year. And we're going to come back to this in more detail when we get to chapter 10, but it's going to be a long time before we get to chapter 10, so you'll forget by then. So here it is in chapter 10. Uh, For since the law has but a shadow of good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, so, so all these sacrifices, all this system is just a shadow of what is to come in Jesus, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered, since the worshippers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins? But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sin every year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. Now, 
the author of Hebrews isn't saying that all that stuff was invalid. But what he is saying is that it points to something much greater. And actually, that, that, that all those sacrifices, the thousands and thousands and thousands of animals that, that, were, that were killed over the history could never fully take away sin. But what they do do is stand as a reminder every year to the people, I am sinful and I need the grace of God. It's a beautiful system, but it was only a system that was pointing towards something fuller that was coming. As good as the high priests of the old covenant were, they could never permanently take away sin. They could never permanently bring us to God. Remember what we saw in Romans 3. All have sinned and fall short of God's glory. We all fall short. And no amount of sacrifice, no brilliant high priest can ever bring us close to God. So what do we need? What do we need? Humanity needs a sinless high priest who's fully qualified to stand in that gap between us and God. Someone who can offer a perfect once and for all sacrifice for our sins that never has to be repeated, offering us eternal salvation. And this is what the author of Hebrews is doing. He's saying, listen, you need a high priest. And I'm showing you that as qualified as all these Old Testament high priests were, that they could never do what Jesus has done for you. Jesus is the better high priest. Anytime this word better is mentioned in Hebrews, it literally means in Greek, it means more excellent. Jesus, those guys were excellent. That was an excellent system that God had given you. But Jesus is more excellent how is he better? How is he more better? How is he more excellent? I want to look at three things. Firstly, he is our forever high priest. He is our forever high priest. Um, like we said, that the priests of, of, of Israel had to come from the tribe of Judah, and he had to be descended from Aaron. Well, Jesus was not those things. Jesus came from the, the tribe of Judah, his family line was the tribe of Judah, the, the, the tribe of kings. In fact, he's a direct descendant of King David. We'll see this in Advent coming up really soon. So if he's not of the tribe of Levi, how can he be the high priest? Well, verse 6 gives us the answer. And verse 6, the author is actually quoting Psalm 110. It says this, talking about Jesus, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now, what does that mean? Because that, that's kind of a weird thing to say, right? We don't really know what that means. Well, by the time we, when we get to chapter 7, a couple of chapters over, the author really goes into this guy, Melchizedek, and explains the significance. Um, but what I want to do is give us a quick summary now so that we can understand what it's saying about our Lord Jesus. Um, in Genesis 14, we read this story of Abraham, he's not called Abraham then, he's called Abram. God hasn't changed his name to Abraham yet. Um, but he, he's visited by this mysterious guy called Melchizedek. And Melchizedek blesses Abraham and, and he brings bread and wine and they share bread and wine. Ding, 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 bells ringing, bread and wine, representing what? Communion, yes, of course. It's all representing Jesus, pointing toward Jesus. But this is what happens. I'll give you a quick summary. Genesis 14, uh, verses 18 to 20. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, uh, by the way, Salem is probably Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Um, and Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was a priest of God most high. And he blessed him, and he said, blessed be Abram by God most high, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. So do you see what's happening here? He's a priest. He's standing in that gap between Abram and God. 
He's doing priestly work. He's blessing Abraham. He's representing Abraham before God. And he's also bringing offerings, offerings of prayer and offerings of, of sacrifice, of bread and wine. Like I said, pointing towards our uh, communion meal that we share now that represents the sacrifice of Jesus. But not only that, he's a king. He's both priest and king. He's the king of Salem. He's a king. He's not from the tribe of Levi. There is no tribe of Levi at this point. Levi wasn't born to like three or four generations after this happened. But he is a priest. He's a priest of God most high. He's a priest appointed by God and he's doing priestly work. And this is exactly how Jesus can be both king and priest. Because he's appointed by God. It's not dependent on what tribe Jesus comes from. It's dependent on who he is appointed by. And he's appointed by God. And, and, and notice uh, what else verse 7 says. It says, you are a priest forever. So you, you know what this means for us? That means that Jesus is our high priest still, right now. And he will never stop being our high priest. Yes, he was our high priest when, when he uh, offered the sacrifice of his own life to, to make amends for our sin. But, he, but when he rose again, he didn't stop being our priest. He is our priest forever. Romans 8 tells us this. Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. That just means that, that, that he is praying for us, interceding for us, uh, pleading our case, fighting our corner, standing up for us. He is on our side and, and he never stops doing that. So in every situation, Jesus is pleading for you. If you're a Christian, Jesus is on your side and he is pleading for you. In every pain, Jesus is pleading for you. In every sorrow and grief, Jesus is pleading for you. In every unknown and, and sleepless night and worry you have, Jesus is pleading for you. Every temptation you face, Jesus is pleading for you. Every time you're hurt, every time you're angry, every time you're betrayed or let down, Jesus is on your side right now in heaven pleading your case. Every time you let someone down or every time you betray someone or every time uh, you get angry for no reason or completely mess things up, making the biggest mistakes, Jesus is saying to God the Father, He's mine. She's mine. That's what Jesus, our high priest, now forever does do. And, and listen, he will never stop being on your side. He can't change. Uh, when we get to the very end of Hebrews in chapter 13, it actually says that Jesus, Christ Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that means that he cannot change. Uh, Jesus cannot and will not ever let you down. He is our priest still, and he is our priest forever. And not only that, is he, not only is he our forever high priest, he's our sinless high priest. Uh, one of the flaws that we saw was that the high priests, they were sinful people. So they couldn't fully stand in that gap between God and men. They had to offer sacrifices uh, for their own sin. But this is not like Jesus. Jesus is sinless. No sin. And we see this in three ways. Firstly, we see that he is sinlessly human. Look at verse 7 with me. In the days of his flesh, that means in the, in the days when Jesus was actually walking about as a human being on earth. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Now there's a lot going on there. But what I want to point out is 
Look how Jesus is able to sympathize with our weakness. His whole ministry on earth, the whole time he's walking around on earth, serving people and loving people, he's actually praying. He's offering up prayers and supplication. Doing that work of a priest. But not only that, he's he's depending on God for, for the strength that he needs to do the will of the Father. Jesus knows what it's like to, to depend on God. He knows what it's like to, to cry out. It, do you notice what it says? It says, uh, with loud cries and tears. Have you ever cry, have you ever prayed in tears? When, when, maybe when no one else is around or you're just in bed, no one knows. You're just praying in tears. Jesus knows what that's like. Fully dependent on God in prayer. And, and, and I think that this verse is talking about uh, his whole ministry, but it definitely seems to allude to the Garden of Gethsemane, which is the night before Jesus died. He's in the garden praying. He's got his three closest friends with him, and they're all fast asleep. And he knows that the next day, that that night he's going to be arrested. The next day he's going to be put to death. And not only is he going to be put to death, he's going to face the full wrath of God, the full judgment of God. And he's praying, Lord, if, if there's any way, please let this pass for me. In, in other words, don't let me go through this, Lord. Spare me from this. And Jesus can sympathize with you in your hour of need because he has faced an hour of need like no one else ever has. And despair. Dread. He knows what it's like to cry out in desperation. And he didn't receive the answer to that prayer that he wanted, did he? He says, let this pass for me. But it didn't. He still had to face that. Now, God did answer his prayer. That's what verse 7 says. He, he, he does, his prayer was answered, just not in the way he wanted it to be, because God did save him out of death through the resurrection. There's a lesson in that. Even Jesus didn't have his prayers answered the way he wanted them to, as a human man. All of this sinlessly, uh, sinlessly praying and dependent on God. He was sinlessly human. And secondly, he was sinlessly obedient. I'm just keeping an eye on my time here. Um, Listen to what verse 8 says. Although he was a son, that's he's the son of God, he learned obedience through what he suffered. Jesus was obedient even at the point of death. He obeyed God, the Father, even when it meant death for him, even when it meant that he would be separated from God. He says in that garden that night, uh, he's like, God, take this away from me, but nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. That's obedience. See, Jesus was sinless, and he still said, God, please take this away from me. But the sinless way to pray that prayer is to also pray, not my will, but yours be done. That's how Jesus was sinlessly obedient. There's nothing wrong with praying, Lord, please take this away from me in desperation. But to be sinlessly obedient, Jesus says, not my will, but yours be done. There was nothing that Jesus uh, was, was willing, uh, there was nothing that God asked him to do that he wasn't willing to do. Even though his obedience led him to be separated from the Father. The Father turns his face away. He cries out, God, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And I, actually, I love that because I think, I think in that separation on the cross when he dies, that's when he's most identifying with us, our worst, isn't he? That's the worst thing about humanity is that we are cut off from God. And that's when Jesus fully identifies for us as our, as our priest. Isn't that incredible? Whilst he's also being the sacrifice. Beautiful. 
Thirdly, then, he was sinlessly human, he was sinlessly obedient, but also he was sinlessly suffering. There's a little thing in here that needs some explanation in verse 8. It says that although he was a son, he learned obedience through suffering, or through what he suffered. So the question is, well, was he not obedient before and he had to learn how to be obedient? Well, the answer is no, he's perfect and sinless. He was always and has always been obedient to the Father. But, but when he uh, actually went through with that obedience and, and offered himself up to death and offered himself as that sacrifice, he proved his obedience. It was almost like it was an untested obedience and it went from that to being a tested and proved obedience. And so when he did that, he showed himself to be fully qualified as being our high priest. In his suffering, he proved himself uh, worthy of being our savior. Like no one else could do this. There's been so many uh, martyrs, Christian martyrs over the years. I mean, even I was just re- re- uh, watching a short video the other day. Um, and uh, at the minute, eight Christians a day around the world are martyred, die because they love Jesus. And, and, and those men and women should be honored and they're receiving honor in heaven right now. But even as amazing as their sacrifice is, it could never take away sin. It could never do what Jesus did because none of them, even though they died because they loved Jesus, they were never sinless. No one else could do what Jesus did. No one else has, has sinlessly suffered the way Jesus has. Perfect obedience, which led him to suffer for us. And this, uh, this leads us on to our third point. He was our forever high priest. He's our sinless high priest. But he's also our saving high priest. He's forever. He, he, he's in heaven now in, in human form, representing, pleading for us. He was always completely sinless, sinlessly human, sinlessly obedient. But he's now eternally saving. You see, listen to this. Jesus does not have to offer sacrifices for his own sins so he can offer himself as a sacrifice for our sins. Isn't that incredible? He, has no, he doesn't have to offer, him, offer a sacrifice for his own sins so he can offer himself as a sacrifice for our sins. And in doing that, he became the source of our eternal salvation. Verse 9, and being made perfect, that is going through that suffering in perfect obedience, he became the source of, of eternal salvation. And Jesus is a much better high priest because he can do what no other high priest could ever do. He could become the, the, the source of salvation. The, 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 the very one, the thing and person that our salvation comes from and is based in, Jesus is our salvation. He doesn't just offer us salvation as a priest, but he is our salvation as our sacrifice. More in that in chapter 8 and 10 as well. Jesus is the better priest because no other high priest was ever able to be the source of our salvation. And not only that, he's the source of eternal salvation. Isn't this one of the problems we saw with the, the sacrifices in the Old Testament? They were temporary. It had to be offered every year, you know? But Jesus, it's, it's not the same for Jesus. He stands in that gap and he offers himself as the perfect, eternal, once and for all sacrifice. That never has to be repeated. We don't come in, I mean, you don't come in here every Sunday and I'm standing up here with a goat slitting its throat, you know? We don't do that. Why? Because Jesus' sacrifice was enough. 
This is what 1 Peter 3.18 says. This is Peter, one of Jesus' disciples and closest friends, writing to churches across Asia and Europe. He says, For Christ also suffered once for sins. Once for sins. The righteous for the unrighteous. That he might bring us to God. That's the problem we saw at the start. That's why we need a priest. Because we're separated from God and we need to be brought close to God. And that's what Jesus does as our, as our mo, more excellent high priest. He brings us to God because he suffered once for sins. And this eternal salvation is what's available to anybody that trusts in Jesus. And that brings me to my, our, our conclusion. I guess we have to ask ourselves, is, what's, what's my response to this going to be? How am I going to respond to this great high priest, this more excellent high priest, this eternal high priest? How am I going to respond to this Jesus? Um, Verses 9 and 10 give us a little challenge. It says, And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Eternal salvation is for those who obey him, you're saying, no, no, I thought I, thought I didn't, I, I didn't, mm, I, I thought I couldn't earn it. I thought I just had to trust in him. Well, listen, let me put it this way. If you trust in him and he makes you a new creation you're, and you're, you're, you're born again in that way, you will obey him. It isn't enough to just say a sinner's prayer whenever you're a kid, like I did. It's not enough to, we've talked about this before in Hebrews, it's not enough to to, to go to a youth rally when you're a kid, uh, you know, uh, what's, the, what's the one at King's Hall? Summer Madness. You know, not enough to do. Those things are great, but it's not enough to put your hand up and say, yes, I believe in Jesus. Those things are good. But we need to obey him. This is this repeated call in, in Hebrews uh, for us to, to examine our hearts. Am I obeying him? Am I living a life that shows that, I, that he is my high priest? Am I obeying him? Listen, in the Old Testament, if the people didn't listen to the instructions of the high priest, if they didn't go along with the sacrifices and all that entail, and we don't have time to get into that, but the people had a part to play in that. And if they didn't do that, their sins wouldn't be made right, wouldn't be atoned for. And we have a similar call to obey the commands and the leading of our high priest. And here's the amazing thing. Unlike any other priest that has ever been, We can obey him no matter how hard it gets or no matter where that obedience takes us because we know that Jesus has gone before him. His obedience to his father led him to death, led him to suffer for us. He has gone before. He knows suffering. He knows obedience to the point of death. Jesus never calls us to follow him somewhere that he hasn't already gone. Never. He never leads us into suffering that, that he hasn't already experienced. And the amazing thing is that, that he, is, uh, he is still, even right now, at the right hand of God, pleading and interceding for us. He doesn't just say, go and do all this hard stuff. He's there with us. He's leading us through that. He's praying for us. He's on our side. It's hard to obey God, isn't it? It's hard to obey Jesus. 
But when we do that, and as we do that, Jesus is pleading our case. He's with us. He's helping us. He's praying for us. And so let's obey him. And let's not give up on that eternal salvation that he won for us. And let's obey him to the end. And maybe you've never trusted Jesus. Maybe this is all new for you. And I just encourage you to trust him today. Doesn't this sound like, uh, can you see his gentleness and, the gentleness and his sympathy? That he knows our weakness, just like the, the priests of the Old Testament. He knows our weakness. He knows what it's like to de- depend on God and to cry out in desperation and have uh, nights of, of darkness and loneliness and despair and dread. If you've never trusted Jesus, trust him now and for that eternal salvation. And maybe uh, you have trusted Jesus. Um, even so, you need to trust him again now. Let's put our, just simply put our trust in him and obey him uh, because he has offered that once and for all sacrifice and he is our high priest. What a high priest he is. You can go through anything knowing that he's, he's with you, he's pleading for you, and he's offered you, he's won, he's paid for that eternal salvation. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we just want to say thank you. Uh, We want to say thank you for your sacrifice, for your leading as our high priest. Uh, You stood in that gap between us. You stand in that gap between us and God. Jesus, help us to realize that no one comes to the Father except through you. Um, Lord, you've done what no other human representative, no politician, no pastor, no priest, no um, lawyer, no solicitor, no nothing could ever do for us. You've made a way for us to be close to God, to be joined with God, to be united with God. Um, Father, may we just learn how to trust you daily. May we learn just how to obey you daily. May we learn uh, how to uh, depend on you and listen to your uh, commands and listen to your leading us gently. Lord, I love that you deal gently with us because you know our weakness. Help us, Lord. Help us just to simply trust you and obey you. Uh, And when we do mess up, because we will, help us just to return again to that uh, eternal salvation that is ours in you, that salvation, that, that sacrifice that never has to be repeated. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Help us, Lord. Amen.